0: Boy, it's good to be back. We, uh, we missed last week. Melissa and I got away for a little while and, and, uh, and really enjoyed ourselves. But I'll be quite honest with you. We got in really late this morning and we had a hard time going to sleep because we were looking forward to being here this morning. And that's the honest truth. We're laying there going, why can't we sleep? We're just excited about being back here with you. This is family to us and we love you. Thank you for expressing that love to us. We had a great time, and thank you for all the work that went into last week while we were gone. And I really never worried one bit about it. It just—I uh, I know you were—I know you were in good hands, and uh, we had a great time. But but do pray for me. I got got a little too much sun on this one side, and I'm starting to peel a little bit. So keep me in your prayers, if you would. I'm afraid it's going to spread to this side, and I just—you know—I'm just. You know, I'm just you know I'm not feeling any love whatsoever i don't feel I don't feel any sympathy, no nothing. The nine o'clock crowd was a lot more sympathetic than the eleven o'clock crowd you're more cynical, aren't you? That's what it is but anyway, it's so good to be back thank you for for loving us, loving on us and uh we are excited to be here this morning and we're we're kind of picking up where I left off and and we're we're in this series that that we called misunderstood and it is it is an opportunity for us to kind of get a little bit deeper with some scriptures and some verses and some passages that maybe we have looked at incorrectly, and not intentionally, but maybe we've misused them or misunderstood them or maybe misinterpreted, misinterpreted them, misapplied them. And, 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 and I think that with good intentions. But a lot of times when we lift a verse out of the scriptures, and we use it over and over again, it begins to lose the meaning that perhaps was the original intent. And I think that this passage of Scripture today is such a classic case of that. Um, It's easy to use a verse of Scripture so frequently in, in a certain specific way and for a certain specific purpose that in the process we rob ourselves of the deeper meaning of what that verse actually is saying. And that's kind of what we're going to get into today with the Scripture that we use so frequently, and that's Romans 8, 28. And most of us, if we have been saved for any length of time, have at least heard this verse used to try and comfort somebody when they're going through a time of of difficulty or some kind of suffering. And we know... That all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. It's a beautiful verse. And what we like to do is we like to take that verse anytime somebody is going through a hardship or a difficulty or suffering that we cannot explain and we throw it out there to make them feel like it's all going to be worth it, like, like it's going to be okay, and, and you're, going to, you're going to get twice as much as what you lost or whatever. And we often use that passage, I believe, with good intentions by saying stuff like, well, I'm sorry that you got fired, but God has something better in store for you. Because Romans 8.28 says, or, yeah, I know... That divorce is rough, but you never know what God has for you in the future. It's going to be something better than what you had. Or I know the doctors have done everything they can, but God must have something really exciting in store for you, and it's all going to work out for good. It's all going to be better because everything is supposed to work out for good, right? There's always a happy ending, right? Well, how come I haven't seen all the happy endings in my life? And how come you have verses of Scripture where Paul says he asked God to remove things from his life that were creating difficulty, and God refused to do it? There are so many <laughs> other characters in Scripture that were a whole lot spiritual than, more spiritual than you and more spiritual than I that went through hard times. And they didn't get back everything they lost. And I'm not trying to be discouraging. I'm just saying, let's let's look deeper into this scripture and not be so glib about how we use it to try and encourage folks. What bothers me, I think, the most is that we as believers have begun to use, and I think that we... I think again, just because of overuse, we have we've begun to use Romans 8.28 as as kind of the Christian version of K Sarah, Sarah. Like whatever will be, will be. You know, it's gonna be okay. And folks, that's just not what I've experienced. And so something's not jiving somewhere. Because in the process of using this verse on such a superficial level, I think we lose the much deeper and more rich meaning that God intended when he put this verse in the Scripture. And that's kind of what I want to do. I want to go deeper with it a little bit to where you have an aha moment and you say, okay, that changes how I look at that verse. And it ought to change how we use the verse in our comforting other folks. Because here's the truth. (laughs) Not everything is good, right? And not everything that happens is good. Because bad things happen to good people. And that includes you and I. And I think that in our search and our desire to find meaning to the stuff that happens... We pull a verse out like this and feel like, well, whatever crappy thing that just happened has happened, that we're going to get something better because of it. So it's worth going through this because we're going to get something better on the other end. Here's a, I always feel bad saying, here's a great statement. Because I'm the one who wrote it down. You know what I mean? It's just like, I don't want to like be patting myself on the back and breaking my arm. But this is one of those moments, those things like, I was like, man, that's, that really encapsulates what I'm trying to say. Sometimes the good we hoped to find isn't the good that actually happens. And that's that's where I think we miss it by using this verse. So you lost a job, and so we tell you that everything is going to work out for good and and what we're trying to imply is you lost that job that paid this much but God's going to give you something that pays this much but he doesn't do that all the time and so if he does it for you but he doesn't do it for me well what's wrong with me and how come he doesn't love me as much as he loves you what am I doing wrong and how come God healed her but he didn't heal him How come God took the nice one and left the really grouchy one? Come on. It's like, why does God pick and choose? Because I don't see that as good. And I really feel like because we use a verse like this, so superficially just to try and put a band-aid on whatever anybody is thinking or hurting or going through, people become embittered because they think God's not fair or that maybe God doesn't really love well. But he does. And it's not God's fault that we take a verse of Scripture and we try to use it to help somebody, but we have to be very careful. Because bad things happen to good people, and we don't always know the reason, and things don't always feel better right away. So as I was working on this the last couple of weeks, I, I, why do people suffer? I mean, if bad things happen to good people, and I don't think it's fair, and I don't agree, why do bad things happen? Why do people suffer? A couple of reasons. And there's probably more than this, but these are the ones I jotted down. First of all, we live in a fallen world, right? We just live in a world that's not right with God. I mean, this is not what God created. God did create a perfect functioning ecosystem, a functioning world that, that had a beautiful relationship with each other and everything was, was honoring to God and everything was done well. And then we fell and we sinned against God. And the result is the world that we have today and bad stuff happens because we live in a fallen world. Another reason bad stuff happens is we do stupid stuff. I mean, we just get ourselves in positions where it's our own stinking fault. You couldn't afford it and you bought it anyway because you had to have it. You don't take care of your health And you wonder why you get sick. I mean, it's like, that was a horrible time to cough, Melissa. (laughs) Maybe nobody else heard that. I'm really sensitive to when she coughs because it usually means she's trying to get my attention. Does your wife do that? Like across the room? Yes, ma'am. Right there, baby. I got you. But I think sometimes we just do stupid stuff and then we expect everything to be okay because we're good people. If you do stupid stuff, stupid stuff's going to happen. Come on, you've raised kids, right? You're going to act like an idiot? (laughs) Here's what happens when you're an idiot. What did John Wayne say? Life's, Life's hard. It's harder when you're stupid. We do stupid stuff. Another reason bad things happen is because sometimes we just need correction. We're going the wrong direction. Or we made a bad decision, and we just need to be corrected. So if something happens, God brings something into our life so that maybe we'll wake up and change direction or make a better decision. And then sometimes, rarely anymore, I think, I think bad things happen to us sometimes because of our faith. Now, I don't consider ourselves in America a persecuted church. I do feel like morals in this country are sliding. I do feel like we are in a different world than I was raised in. I think that you go back a few generations and America looked completely different than it does now. I am afeard about the the kind of world my kids are going to grow up in and what my grandkids are going to grow up in, it, it, it concerns me. But I don't feel persecuted because I'm a Christian. I don't feel like bad things happen to me. I think, when we, I think anymore today, in America, and I'm not saying like this never happens, but I think on whole, in America, sometimes we say we're persecuted for our faith when really we're just being persecuted because we're a jerk. And I think, I, think, I think people have a hard time with us sometimes not because of what we believe, but because of how we behave. And so sometimes our what we blame as Christianity is really just you being a jerk. And so, so I, don't, I don't consider that being persecuted for your faith. You're being persecuted because you're like sandpaper. And people don't like you. Hmm. I'm not trying to be unkind. I think it just—I think that um, I I don't think people are as upset with us about our position as they are about our disposition. Now, sometimes they are, and I'm not—I'm not. I know the media, and 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 there's a whole crowd in this world that wants to uh, put the Bible aside. I get all of that, and I firmly believe that. But most of the time, I think it's just because we have a bad disposition, not because of our position. So I think that, that yes, I believe that bad things do happen because of our faith, much more so in other countries than here. But those are some reasons why I think legitimately bad things happen. Now, I'm not trying to explain them away, but but when those bad things happen and we pull this verse out of our arsenal and we say, see, all things work together for good, so it's just a matter of time. Just hang on. Everything's going to get better. You're going to have a better job, a nicer car, more health. Sometimes that doesn't happen. And so what what I'd like to do is take a look at a few things in this verse that kind of help clarify it. And by the way, verses 18 through 30 in Romans 8 deal with suffering. That whole passage deals with suffering in the life of the believer. And what we do is we take one verse out of there and say, see, everything is going to be all better. Let me sprinkle some dust and everything's going to feel better. That just doesn't happen that way. And I think because we take it so lightly and superficially, then people just begin to doubt the goodness of God because they don't feel like this verse is being fulfilled in their life. So a couple of things I want to bring to our attention in this verse and then use other scripture to kind of shed light on what the verse is saying that what I would love to happen is when we walk out of here, we still use this verse, but it means something more deep deeper, and richer than just everything's going to be fine. The first thing I want to notice here is, is that we have to look at the big picture. So the, 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 the phrase that I want to use here is that the promise in this verse refers to the sum total of our life's events, not necessarily the isolated incidences of those events. So like, just because you lost a job doesn't mean that you're going to have a nice wrapped up package with a bow on top of it that replaces that with something that much better. No, It may may be 20 years before you realize that that job loss created this situation which led you here, which brought you to where you are right now. It's, It's the sum total of the events of your life, not the individual events that turn out good. The key word here in the the, the verse is the word together. And we know that all things work together for good. So that one isolated incident in your life, it just is not fun to go through. But eventually, it's going to work together with everything else that happens in your life. And you look back and good happened. My mom used to make a cake called the one, two, three, four cake. And the one, two, three, four was the number of ingredients that it had. cup of this, two cups of this, three cups of this, four of these. and she'd mix it all together, bake it at a certain temperature for a certain period of time, and boop, out pops this delicious cake. I liked it when it would fall, because it was more dense and chewy. That's how I liked it. So my dad and I would jump in the kitchen try and get the cake to fall because we liked it better when it was heavy and dense. But she'd make this thing. But now listen, if you tasted just the cup of that or the cup of this or the four of those and tried to judge the cook before you tasted the finished product, you've missed the point of the whole recipe. And when you look at the individual events of your life, yeah, they're they're not fun. It's not good because not everything that happens is good. But the finished product can and will be. So it's the sum total. It's the big picture. The second thing I want us to notice here is, is we have to clarify the word good. Because the word good means beneficial, not comfortable. So think about this. So all things work together for good. What does God mean by good? I don't think it means what you think it means. I think the good that God has in mind is that which is good for you, not necessarily that which feels good. In context, if you read the next verse... It talks about the purpose behind the suffering is to be conformed to the image of Christ. So the good that he's talking about there is not a new car or a better job or healing. It's that what you are going through is going to have a good result. What's the good result, Eric? The good result is you're going to be more like Jesus. It doesn't mean replacing whatever you lost or getting back whatever you had to give up. The good that all things work together for good, in other words, they're beneficial to who you are as a person, who you are as a believer in Christ. I jotted this down. It's more important what those circumstances do to you than what they do for you. So it's about what God is trying to do in your life to make you who you're supposed to be, not the stuff He's trying to replace that you lost. I don't know what you're going through, but if you're going through it and you're resting on this verse and you're saying, "Well, you know, whatever it is, going to work. It's, it, it's going to work. Everything's going to piece together, and it's going to feel better when we're all done." That may not happen the way you think it's going to happen. If God's ultimate goal is for you to be more like Jesus, it may mean taking that out of your life and never giving it back again. Are you okay with that? That's tough. But does that make you more like Jesus? Is that more like what God's plan for your life is? Things might get better. You may get a better job, you might be healed, but you might not. I mean, we've talked about it before. Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda, right? Every year at this time, everybody who was crippled or lame or had a disease, the first one to hit the water, after the angel touched the water, got healed. Do you know how many people there must have been around the pool? Trying to be the first one. This guy had been there for decades trying to be the first one. Jesus steps over all the other people and goes to the one person and heals him steps over everybody else and leaves he only healed one person so for us to glibly say oh well everything's going to be better i'm going to be healed i'm going to get it doesn't always happen And it's not because God doesn't like you as much as he likes somebody else. God is concerned about what it's doing to you more than what it's doing for you. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. So so Paul, who wrote Romans 8.28, earlier in that same book said this. He said in Romans chapter 5, we glory in tribulations also. Wait, what? That ought to just make you stop there for a second. We glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation works patience. And patience, experience, and experience hope. So there's a purpose behind what Paul is saying you're going through, because it's going to produce something in your life. It's going to make you a better follower of Christ. It's going to conform you to the image of his son. He also wrote the book of Philippians, and it says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him. Oh, man, yes, I want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Not so much. It's in the same verse, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Isn't that a beautiful word, fellowship? Because Jesus suffered, and there is something incredible When you connect with somebody else who has suffered the way that you suffer, the fellowship of his sufferings, and the, oh, check this out. Why do we go through all this, Jesus? Being made conformable unto his death. So the idea is that there's a bigger reason for what we're going through other than just getting back what we thought we needed. Good does not mean what you think. Maybe it does. The third thing I want to mention, and we'll wrap this up, let's identify who the beneficiaries are, right? So so we use this verse very lightly, and that's what I want to try and avoid, because this verse is written specifically to believers, those who love God. The promise is for those who love God. It's a statement of fact. For we know that all things work together for good to them who love God. Psalm 34, verse 19. I did not put it on the screen, but it says this. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. That's not why I got in this, Eric. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord (laughs) delivers him out of them all. Isn't that beautiful? This is for believers. For a non-believer... Suffering has little to no redeeming value. It's just something you got to go through because everybody goes through it. It just hurts and it sucks and it doesn't amount to anything other than the suffering that you went through. But for the believer, we have the confidence in knowing that whatever it is that we are going through has a purpose behind it that God intended to make something in our life change to be more of what we're supposed to be. And that's a beautiful thing. I can't think of a better story in the Bible than Joseph. Right? When you look at the totality of his life, he's in the pit. Come on. Hated by his brothers. They're thrown, he's thrown into a pit, then sold into slavery. He becomes a slave in Potiphar's house. Then he's lied about, thrown into prison. And it wasn't a short amount of time. It wasn't like God gave him a better life right after he got out of the pit. And it's not like God restored his position after he got out of prison or after he got out of potter's house. No, he was thrown in prison. It was a long period of time. And then towards the end of his life, after some things came full circle, he was able to say that God did all of this. So the totality of his life is what made it a good thing, but the individual things were not. And I don't think that the way, to get, the way that he got there was the way that he thought he was going to get there. Because if you remember much about Joseph, we talked about him this, this last summer, you know, he had these dreams as a young boy about all of his family bowing down to him, and he was going to be their ruler, and that's what began the friction between him and his brothers. And that ended up happening many, many years later, but not the way that he thought it was going to happen. So it's the, you got to look at the big picture. And the good that he saw was not necessarily the way, the good that happened to get him there. So here's a couple questions I, 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 would, I would suggest that you ask yourself when going through a hardship and before you use this verse, the first question is this, in light of eternity, how is this a good thing? What does good mean? (laughs) What does good mean in light of eternity? And then the second question I would suggest that we ask ourselves is, how will this help me be more like Jesus? How will what I'm going through right now help me be more like Jesus? And listen, if you're not a believer, may I encourage you to experience what living life can be when you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because there is a plan, there is a purpose that God has ordained for your life. I don't know what it is. But going through life without Him is such a waste of time. You're wasting moments and months and years when you could have a purpose behind what you're doing. Let me tell you, you are so valuable to God, the creator of this universe. And he wanted so desperately to have a relationship with you that he took his own son and had him killed so that your sins and my sins can be paid for so that he can have a relationship with you, but he still leaves it up to you. It's still your decision whether or not you want to enter in a relationship with Jesus Christ and therefore have a relationship with God Almighty. Everything's been done. You have to turn the switch on. One of the greatest illustrations of salvation I've ever heard is like when they built this building and they ran all the wires, I don't know what all they did. I don't know where all the wires go. I just know when I walk in the auditorium and behind that door is a switch, I turn the switch, all these lights come on. And I didn't do any of that but I enjoy the benefit of it. And I don't understand all of it. I just enjoy the benefit of it. And everything has been done for you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is personal and meaningful and valuable. And all you need to do is hit the switch because everything else has been done. And that's why you're here this morning. So I don't know what your relationship with God is like or what it's not like, but you came to the right place this morning. If you're like, Eric, I don't, man, there's just a lot of stuff going on in my life. And if you're a believer this morning, maybe we need to look at what good means like what, what, what good means now. That maybe good is not the good you think. And that maybe that verse means something different. But if you're not a believer and you don't remember ever a time when you trusted Christ with your life and you accepted him as your savior. It's already all been done for you. But God's not going to force himself on you. He wants you to want a relationship with him. And I'd love to pray with you about that. I'd love to have that conversation with you. I'd love to make that introduction. That's what I'd love to do. And I think it'd be worth your time to have that conversation after the service. Let's say a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for... What we learn through it, and, and it's always new, it's always fresh, and we can always learn something. And I believe that this is a beautiful verse, and I believe it's been used to comfort and help millions of people. But help us to not be satisfied with just what we think it means. Help us to understand the, the deeper and richer meaning behind it of being conformed to Jesus Christ. And maybe all this that's happening won't be understood until much later in our life, but help us to trust you through it. And most importantly, I feel like if, if there's somebody in here this morning that, that's not sure, they don't know that, that they have an active, meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ, I pray, Father, they would not leave here today without having that conversation. We love you, and thank you for loving us, and thank you for providing us the Word of God, that we can study and learn more about you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.